Back everyone. Today we are discussing album number fifty-eight, which is Beggar's Banquet by the Rolling Stones. Mike, Mike, it's time to record the Sound Logic <laughs> Sorry. podcast. <laughs> Sorry, just had a little nap after listening to that album, and I have to wake up. You ready? You ready for this? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, I guess it's important to note, based on that comment there, for those of you who have not listened to our previous reviews of Rolling Stones albums, uh, we're not big fans so far, and maybe that will change by the time we're done 500 albums. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. By the by, the end of this album. I don't think it's going to change, but I don't want to let the cat... Well, I guess everybody already knows what we're going to say. So, Ben, I think it's safe to say that neither you or I have listened to this album before because I don't think you or I had listened to any Rolling Stones albums before we started. No. Uh, I don't know that I could say I could had listened to an entire Rolling Stones album uh, before we started this project. I think I do have a few stuck on my hard drive somewhere. Um when I thought it was important for me to download something by them, but I don't I don't have any memories of going through them if I did. <laughs> yeah, and even to this date, um I only listen to Rolling Stones albums because of this project. <laughs> so <laughs> I haven't listened to it. <laughs> so new to us, were you anticipating this being something like what we had heard so far? We don't need to totally recap, but I, I didn't really enjoy uh, number seven album, Exile on Main Street. It was a double album, and to me, there really wasn't much special on it. Um, trying to put it in its place in time and give it the credit that it's due and, and that it was different and successful and many people cherish it who grew up with it. I liked Let It Bleed a lot more. I still didn't like, still compared to some of the other albums we listened to, I didn't like it very much, but I liked it more. Uh, so I thought it would be about the same. Hit or miss, for me personally, mostly songs that I would forget quickly. Now that's sure. that's what I was expecting. I again, again, came into a Stones album with low expectations. <laughs> yeah, I think I was a, a little bit more optimistic this time around. Okay. I'm not sure why. Uh, I think... Yeah, me neither. Um, I think this album... Uh, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I... <laughs> I don't even have to finish that <laughs> sentence. Um, I so well, funnily enough, <laughs> I'll say here. Um, I'm not sure what I base this expectation on, but I, I also have your voice in my head when I go to start a new Rolling Stones album because I remember when we went through Let It Bleed, I said something like, "I like some of the songs on Exile on Main Street." You said, "Name one," and then I was like, uh, "Yeah, I can't do that." <laughs> And so, <laughs> as I was listening to this, the one day I was like, I kind of like this. Gotcha. And then I thought, can I can I name any of the songs that I that I think that I kind of like here? And I couldn't really. So, um, oh, yeah, I, I was, oh, I'm struggling a little bit with uh, with that kind of um, something has been tarnished in there, uh, maybe from this journey yeah. that we're on. <laughs> oh dear. 
but um but i do have some interesting things to say about it. i think yeah it's been a fun experience with this album so far i'm looking forward to oh, good. Our well, i'm glad we're starting on a <laughs> bit of a positive note there <laughs> which positive, is good yeah well let's start with some details and get through those so we can get into the meat of the album shall we perfect details 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 so beggar's banquet was released 6th of december 1968 it was there seventh british release and ninth american release this is studio album so they had released i won't go through them all but they had released three albums only in the u.s and one album only in the uk and the rest were released both up to this point so that puts the american releases two ahead plus two uh which is very again i'm so happy when we talk about albums that were not released in the early to mid 60s because it's just so complicated mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. all the different yep. country releases uh, we've done this with the beatles and with the stones and dylan and uh jimmy hendrix and even elvis it gets complicated anyways this was their seventh or ninth depending on what country you're from all songs written by mick jagger and keith richards credited together except for prodigal son written by robert wilkins again they the stones reached into a lot of those old blues archives and you can hear a lot of that influence in their music it charted number three in the uk and number five in the u.s sales to date are certified for 1.15 million and a couple really interesting notes on the creation of this album Uh, this recording and this is big because this album is the first of what is considered to be their best four albums that came four in a row so that's Beggar's Banquet, Let It Bleed, Sticky Fingers, and Exile on Main Street. They all came out in succession. That's considered like their, you know, the golden era for the Stones. Their four best albums all together. Um, and this recording marked a change in direction for the band following the two previous albums, which were uh, kind of psychedelic pop, uh, which, you know, you would have heard that from early, early Pink Floyd in the late 60s and other kind of psychedelic stuff that's what they i think their early stuff was more blues based and then they did that uh and then their previous two albums between the buttons and their satanic majesty's request i think the former we will discuss eventually glenn johns who's the album's recording engineer and longtime collaborator said that beggar's banquet signaled the rolling stones coming of age i think that the material was far better than anything they'd ever done before the whole mood of the record was far stronger to me musically uh and also i think it's important to note uh two other big changes in the band number one uh this was the first stones album to be produced by jimmy miller whose production work formed a key aspect of their sound through the 60s and 70s and i think you could see that if that was the big change then that may have led to you know the next three albums after this and also we talked about this when we talked about let it bleed this was the last rolling stones album to release during founder brian jones's lifetime so brian yeah, jones was yeah. a guitarist and founder of the band they had a were having a lot of issues with him and specifically his drug use he was not reliable in the studio he essentially left or was kicked out of the band after recording this he recorded a little bit for let it bleed but not very much because he wasn't around i think essentially he was outed and he passed away before let it bleed was released so this was the last one released in his lifetime so very sad uh, story there you mentioned this earlier there uh, there's only a couple singles in fact there was only one single and that was street fighting man and uh, the album didn't have quote a hit single when it was released but songs such as sympathy for the devil and street fighting man have become rock radio staples 
since that time. And I know, I was surprised when I researched that, I hear Sympathy for the Devil on the radio all the time. Yeah. So I was surprised to hear that that wasn't a single. It's just yeah. become one of the ones, I, I guess, with some of these bands and albums over time, people just, some songs are so good, people request them so much, they just get played on the radio. Uh, we've talked about that. I think we talked about that with Led Zeppelin. Uh, yeah. A lot of songs that are yeah. on the radio that weren't singles. So Street Fighting Man, I recognized that song when I heard it. I didn't know that it's a single, and it was the only single. So Yeah. It, it makes me wonder, too, if this album gets some... It's on lists of greatest albums, and uh, when you press play, Sympathy for the Devil is the first thing that you hear. And I wonder if that helps mm. to elevate it to become a radio hit people are picking up this album yeah. because of its greatness and that's the opening track maybe that's how they these things find their way to even if they're not a single there was it the beatles we were listening to that their producer had a formula was that am i thinking I of think, the right band that was yeah like, ron was telling us that uh when he was on yes uh our recent review of um is that please please me uh, or meet the beatles no um uh, meet, meet the beatles meet the beatles yeah. yeah that their producer said you do your best song and then your second best song starts side two. Is that right? I think I think he said you put all your best songs on side one. Your best is the first track, and your second best is the second. Or is your second best song is the final track of that side, so that the listener is compelled to turn the album over, and you put right the next strongest song from the first side on as your first track on the next side, so that your listener wants to just keep going <laughs> um so you, you sort of front load it yes anything that's not quite as strong those go on side two but after the first song exactly which is strong something like yeah. that <laughs> and i feel like uh i think you're right i think you have a point with sympathy sympathy for the devil being uh just something very different something that really pops with the opening of it which is a catchy song and i think that that's could be a, a big key to success for this album it's probably one of my favorite Rolling Stones songs, and it's very good. And it's a yeah, it's kind of amazing that it wasn't uh, released in that way. I, I really like it. Sometimes it's, I guess it's harder to see this stuff when it's right in front of you, but perhaps I don't know what this does for you, Mike. When when you mentioned, and we've heard this before, I think it's come up in our other two reviews that that this album is part of this meaty curve of four exceptional Stones albums. Right. Um, we're now through three of those four, and and they just mm-hmm. don't resonate in the same way for us. It makes me wonder, you know, I heard you say, what was the genre of the two albums that came before? Psychedelic rock? Is that what you said? Psychedelic or? pop. Psychedelic pop. Psychedelic pop. I, I yeah. wonder if there'd be more for me as someone who who does like a little poppier stuff and, and appreciates more experimental stuff too occasionally. If the sort of straight up 4-4 four, four timing stones greatness is um not for me and in, in, in fact the rest of their catalog might be <laughs> where i'd find some of my favorites i don't know it's a an interesting thought experiment that maybe i need to spend some time with well i guess yeah you could you could kind of do a quick google of that genre and see what comes up i imagine you'd see bands like again early pink floyd not david gilmore 70s pink floyd but early sid barrett pink floyd you'd probably see the doors maybe love um, that's kind of what comes to mind uh, psychedelic pop stuff like that and a lot of other bands I think that was a really big in the British scene the other thing and I don't want to well maybe this will go hand in hand with the next element we talk about which is the cover design but this I've read before probably in I had a subscription for 
Rolling Stones magazine for a few years back in the mid 2000s. And it's neat to read a bunch of those articles that discuss the history. One of the things that the Stones were really big in was the fashion scene in London and the UK in the early 60s. They were closely linked to that and tied to that, and they were seen as fashion icons. And I think that that also was coupled with their popularity. And I think that may have even helped in their music. I'm really not an expert on early 60s fashion in London, but <laughs> I know that they were they were big there and the people from the fashion world were taking note. So that's just another element of it. So for the album cover, uh, we have two covers to discuss. The original release was very plain, very interesting. It's uh, kind of an off-white, uh, I would say paper color, and it looks like, to me, a wedding invitation. And in very fancy, posh scroll writing, it says Rolling Stones, Beggar's Banquet, and down at the bottom left, it says uh, uh, RSVP. Looking at it, I almost feel like I can see two circles as if there was a couple uh, wet drinks yep. uh, on it. Yep. So this was like maybe a napkin or, a, or an invite at a, at a wedding. <laughs> and apparently, this was not the original cover that was suggested. The original cover is what's known as the toilet cover. Yeah. And it was rejected initially, but if you bought a CD, once CDs came out, it didn't have that original. It had the the toilet cover, which is an image of a of a kind of grungy looking bathroom yeah. covered in graffiti which have to, which says Beggar's Banquet, the Rolling Stones in like red marker and then all this graffiti on it. So this initial cover was rejected by the record company and because of this dispute it actually delayed the album's release for a few months until they came up with the other cover yeah so kind of an interesting thing there i I imagine if you have an lp you'd have the first version if you have a cd you'd have the second version yeah i i seem to have some memory of the toilet seat cover just from flipping through cds in high school and college okay at the record store i have no memory of this plain white napkin cover and i guess that's maybe why yeah it's not at all you know it's not i think i remember the uh sort of collage appearance of exile showing up in columbia house maybe even let it bleed too but no memory of Mm. the white rolling stones beggars of banquet image there so yeah yeah perhaps we had we have never seen it right because we'd only seen cds right my my kids were um tying up my spotify account on the ipad and as you know if you've got uh your spotify account on multiple devices you can't listen across different devices if someone else is using it so i pulled up beggars banquet playlist on youtube and someone I'm guessing it's someone connected to their label has edited all the songs together with a kind of lyric video, but it's all lyrics uh, written in Sharpie on a sort of yellow background. And I thought that was kind of odd until I saw this cover and was like, oh, that's the <laughs> that's the link or the, the connection. They've got it sort of almost as if you're you're zooming in, reading the walls of the bathroom to, uh, to get all the yeah. lyrics to each of the songs. <laughs> Is it kind of... Uh, is it kind of animated, Ben? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I watched that too. The same thing. I was uh, Spotify has this thing where you can't listen to the album in order on your phone. Correct. So yep. I, 
but only on unless you have an account only on the computer so i was somewhere with my phone not with my computer but i wanted to listen to the album so i put it on youtube and found that and that was kind of, was kind of neat yeah this graffiti writing of the lyrics with kind of mixed in with shots of some of the actual graffiti that's on this art so yeah i, I like that but i'm like you i have no re- recollection of either of these covers it's funny we've discussed some albums and i'm like even if i haven't heard the album oh yeah i've seen that picture somewhere or like for example rolling stones tattoo you um which we will discuss which came out i think in 80 or 81 i've seen that picture like lots of places um i recognize it but i couldn't tell you a single track on the album but this uh, i don't feel i've ever seen this before ready for track listing you bet so back to 10 tracks (laughs) yeah nice uh, comfortable 10 spot Uh, coming in at total just under 40 minutes like a few seconds under 40 minutes total so uh, a relatively short album uh we've got sympathy for the devil no expectations i've got no expectations to pay dear doctor Parachute Woman. Jigsaw Puzzle. Side 2 begins with Street Fighting Man. Prodigal Son. Stray Cat Blues. Factory Girl. Album closes out with Salt of the Earth. Ben, you said that there was a few parts of this album that you enjoy. What were what are some songs that maybe jumped out to your ones that you wanted to come back to? So I, I think this 10-song, 39-minute album is just about the amount of Rolling Stones I can handle in one sitting. I think <laughs> uh, <laughs> so time-wise, you know, it's it's short and sweet, and it feels a little bit like a, a, some of those earlier Beatles albums where it, uh, you get to the end and uh, something else starts playing. If you're if you're streaming the album, you think, "Oh, is that it?" Uh, and I don't remember thinking that the previous two albums. I think I was sort of, well, "Are we there yet? Are we there yet?" Kind of a, a slog <laughs> to the end. That's not exactly high praise, but I I really like "Sympathy for the Devil" and "Street Fighting Man," and um, and the others kind of blend in decently well. I've got some issues with this album, too, which we can get to a little bit later. But uh, for those reasons, I think there's some good stuff here. I didn't find myself thinking, oh, that's terrible, like, next song. And I kind of liked, even though it feels very cliche at times, I kind of liked their effort to sort of tackle Americana with some, you know, more country twang or or sort of rockabilly or, or 
some of those things that are on this album too. Sometimes um, Mick's attempt at a uh, sort of American Southern drawl just sounds awful, like cringeworthy. <laughs> yeah, very silly. Dear Doctor, I think especially is a song where uh, oh. it, it's uh, it is almost one where I'd be like, okay, next song, but uh, it, it just seems like they're they're trying something and they have this idea in their head and so they do this sort of the best that they can do at it <laughs> is there anything rosy here for you or was it all just like uh, drain pour right from the beginning no i i there were aspects um i want to say that and it's awful because i can't pick out the exact songs right away but there were different times where i would hear a guitar sound from keith richards and think okay in 1968 that's pretty cool yeah Right. That guitar sound would have been unheard of, and I know he was innovating a lot, and he, uh, at this point, was probably pretty clear that he was going to be the lead and only guitarist uh, with Brian Jones. I think they knew that he was going to be leaving, or they knew that they weren't going to be able to work with him anymore, uh, and he was very innovative. What was it? I think Street Fighting Man is probably one of my favorites, and I do like the guitar in that. Also, I found myself singing along to uh, Salt of the Earth. It's kind of got this almost anthemic feel to it um, with kind of... Well, I mean, they've got a choir in it there too, uh, which sounds pretty cool, but kind of this thing that seems accessible, more accessible than the other songs. is kind of just this twangy solo act going on and, and the kind of silliness of Dear Doctor, you know, with him, you know, mimicking a, a woman's voice and it's like, uh, Salt of the Earth just seems more sing-alongable, and, and I like it. It's kind of a cool tune. Uh, it's it's very it's very poppy. Like it's yeah. very simple, very catchy, uh, kind of circular melody, and uh, it, it's good. I don't know why they wouldn't have made that a radio single. It's right. a good tune. I can see that getting played in pubs and stuff. Yeah. I think it sounds authentic. It sounds like something that they're playing from their heart, not like they're trying to adopt mm-hmm. something else. Now, and maybe this is coming just you know a couple of weeks after we tackled Elvis Presley's debut album, where we referenced you know that most mm-hmm. of his stuff was just ripping off uh, <laughs> black artists who were less popular who had come before him, often in the same time frame too. And and sometimes I think Beggar's Banquet sounds like. The Rolling Stones are trying to pay tribute to another era, but actually they're just doing kind of a mediocre job at stuff that other people have done a whole lot better than them. <laughs> yeah. And I can't tell if it's always done in a wholesome way or if it is a bit of a patronizing kind of kind of effort at times. Hmm. I've got a I've got a theory here and I want to run it by you. I think if you lined up all of the Rolling Stones songs ever from your least favorite to your most favorite the tempo of the song would also correlate and that their faster songs are going to be towards the better end of their stuff and their slower songs are going to be towards the worst does that resonate with you too every time i think mix tries to slow down and sing a ballad the inadequacies of his voice really shine through (laughs) i feel like i heard my wife listening to a podcast about tempo and that there is a scientifically proven sweet spot for tempo and it correlates with popularity and success of music that there's this (laughs) sweet spot that 
too slow or too fast is not going to be successful. There's a sweet spot. Like if it's a ballad, it's got to be above this tempo. Yeah. If it's poppy, it's yeah. got to be below this tempo. Right. You know, everything else in the middle is kind of good. So I think you're bang on there that <laughs> I think generally as people, I think we do generally for most days, most of our moods, we want something a little more upbeat. And I think uh, that's most of the time when I listen to the albums, any album, that's kind of the songs I skip over are the yeah. slower ones. <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> I, I think there's more here, though. Like, I think Charlie Watts as a drummer is great when he can just sort of wail away, try and keep up, keep up with me, boys. Kind of like, let me just uh, go wild here a yeah. little bit and we'll, and we'll... And when he's trying to finesse his way through a song, it sounds like sounds like the, that kid in, in um, sort of middle school band who's a really good drummer but when he has to play just like quarter notes on the snare drum it's like everything's a half step off because <laughs> he just <laughs> you know he wants to play something else and uh, and I think that the whole band kind of has that same vibe where Keith Richards is an exceptional rock guitar hero for many people I think when he slows it down too it, it, it goes from being exceptional to just like Eh, it's okay. Yeah, I, I think uh, Charlie Watts. I mean, his background is—he's uh, a, a jazz and right. blues drummer, and he, to this day, he plays a very simple jazz kit. Yeah, there's not a lot. Of, you know, it's not a Neil—it's not a Neil Peart drum kit. It is no. a stripped-down, very basic jazz kit, and I think he swings very well. He does songs that swing that are simple with a little bit of fills, kind of jazzy, bluesy fills. I think anything that's a big sort of John Bonham showy rock, that's not really his forte. He he does well on things that are simple. And again, that's not to say that he's not a good drummer or can't handle complicated things. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that when he's right in the pocket uh, with something that's real, got just a bit of a swing to it, um, that's not too crazy uh, in terms of you know, prog rock, like they don't do, the Stones don't really do irregular time signatures at all. I, I can't right. off the top of my head think right. of any song uh, <laughs> that, that is kind of messes with timing. So that's right. Uh, that's just not their thing. Not to say that they can't do it. I, I wouldn't say that. I don't know that, but they just don't. So yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I'm with you on that. I think um, they have some good slower songs, but I don't hate any of these songs. They just, some are less memorable. Yeah. I will yeah. want to echo what you said about Sympathy for the Devil. I think that's also one of my favorite Stone songs. I love uh, the congas yeah. and the, the kind of shouting at the beginning. It's it, Right away, it sounds so different. And it just kind of like, you just kind of perk up your ears like, oh, that's cool. And then with just the piano. However, I probably would like this song more, but I did listen to it a lot in my teens. And I'll tell you why. In my late teens, uh, the time of Napster and LimeWire and all those other downloading services uh, where all of a sudden we could get our hands on all this music. And I was really discovering classic rock because I didn't grow up with it, but I was learning and listening to classic rock radio, all this music. So I was downloading the hits. There was this really cool song by the Stones called Sympathy for the Devil. But right away, even in that title, I was like, oh, maybe I'm not supposed to listen to this. <laughs> and then I heard the heard the song and, it, you know, it was the, he talks about, you know, tempting Jesus. And he talks about having his hand in very important points in history. And I thought, 
even though I like this song, I, I can't listen to this. This is blasphemous. <laughs> this is uh, I'm I'm not I'm not supposed to listen to it. And I right. felt that as a, as a teen, like oh, this is this is what struggle means. It's that my my heart my heart wants to listen to this because I find it pleasing. But but really, it's something I should learn to say no to, say no to the temptation. So I was justified uh, in <laughs> not listening to it. So I deleted it from my download list. <laughs> because it's something that I felt wasn't appropriate for me, and I really didn't listen to it for a long time. Obviously, I'm listening to it now because <laughs> I'm yeah. talking about it now. But uh, and I think it's one of the things that made the Stones appealing to a crowd that they were they were a little dangerous, they were yeah. different. Like Richards and Jagger, you know, they were they were getting arrested. They were the bad boys. They right. were, you know, they were dangerous. They were smoking, doing drugs. Uh, you know they were and it made them super cool and i think yep. there was like you know you could have the beatles and listen to the early albums of the beatles and look at them in their suits or you could have the stones which were like yeah you know right like, <laughs> kind of yeah the album before and this, i think um, their satanic majesty's request like that you know even when yes. i heard you say that tonight i was like what really the stones had an album that had satanic in the title wow <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, two albums in a row. One that has the devil in the title and one that has it on the opening track. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, there's, again, that kind of, I think that drives a big part of the population, especially young population that want to, you know, have this desire to rebel, not in a negative way necessarily, but to become their own person and, and grow up and move away from their the interests and ideals of their parents. This provides something for them. So I think definitely added to their popularity in the 60s and maybe throughout time i think to us we think of the stones as kind of fairly tame but back in the day oh brother not at all um so yeah sympathy for the devil again was is always one that sonically i've always enjoyed and then um lyrically it's kind of interesting song like a lot of it was common knowledge but i think they would have had to do a little bit of research uh, to get all those times, you got to know a little bit about the Bible. You got to know a little bit about history to understand all the references there. Uh, right. So it's, I'm not going to say that it's super, super deep, but it does a little more than scratch the surface. It's kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. There's a repetitive nature in all their songs, even the ones that I like that I think yes. Sympathy for the Devil could be two minutes shorter and I'd still enjoy it just as much it just keeps going and going and going <laughs> i will say on lyrics i found it very hit and miss there were some songs like sympathy for the devil and salt of the earth i thought the lyrics were quite clever and then like jigsaw puzzle i i thought the lyrics were it's very immature and not thoughtful and kind of like Jig- jigsaw puzzle felt like he was doing a jigsaw puzzle one night and just wrote a song about <laughs> like i don't know it just felt like something i would have written when i was 15 just like about the object that's sitting in front of me yeah uh, I, I didn't i didn't really enjoy it and uh dear doctor there's part of that that i like uh there's a uh there's a hole where there once was a heart uh you know yeah. I, I i like that you know but there's other parts of that song that's just ridiculous you know and, and we'll come back because we've got to pick a couple songs for our playlist uh if we can but uh most of all the album for me is is a snoozer like i just don't need to come back to it um i would i would do exactly what we're gonna do pick a couple 
upbeat songs that I kind of like and put them on a playlist. If I was doing a classic rock playlist, maybe it's just not memorable. And the thing that I just really struggle with is I'm trying to put myself back in 1968 and ignore everything that I've listened to or that has come out in the last 50 years and try and understand why this was new and fresh and exciting. And a lot of people wanted to listen to it. I'm just really struggling with that challenge. <laughs> yeah, I think that is a, a big deal for me too. I think because I, unlike music, which you can kind of understand or wrap your head around how it was um, influential based simply on what else was recorded around it, their attitude and swagger, um, that sort of stuff that was happening in the public sphere, we can't quite as easily access to understand what role their celebrity kind of played in this moment too right you know we yeah. we this is one of the only bands on this list that we've both seen live and both seen together oh yeah that's true <laughs> and yeah. you know even in their i don't know what they were at that time in their 60s late 60s they were still strutting around the stage and uh and playing with attitude oh, yeah. and you could tell like they've got something you know a a, a quality that Oh, for sure. When you see the spectacle that is the Rolling Stones, some of the simple uh, music or lyrics or uh, the things that I think are easy to pick apart now kind of make a little bit more sense about why they rose to fame and whatnot. Not all music is supposed to be for everyone, so it just may coincidentally be that neither of us really love this band that, you know, is considered to be one of the greatest bands of all time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that might be it. What track would you pick to put on our playlist? I think for me, it comes down to Sympathy for the Devil or Street Fighting Man. So I don't know if those are the two in your head, but that'd be an easy two unless you want to mix it up and then force me to choose those two if you pick sympathy for the devil i'm trying to pick because i definitely agree with that one i'm trying to t- pick between street fighting man and salt of the earth which is kind of a cool track it's not bad eh yeah it's good and i think it would give some contrast to the uh what else is on this album but i think i think those two are, are the songs that i'd want to return to so wait so which ones which, what was the second one we picked street fighting man sympathy for the devil and street fighting man yeah do you want to do Salt of the Earth instead of Street yeah. Fighting Man? I don't know. It's a it's a toss up. I, I like Street Fighting Man. It's got a cool. It's got a really cool sound. Like I like yep. the guitar sounds. Yeah, I think I think those represent. And it was the only single, so that represents it well. I guess a, a, an honorable mention goes to Salt of the Earth. So if you're interested in uh, listening to some more of the tracks, then I recommend Salt of the Earth. <laughs> so we get to it, and I think I know the answer. Um, is this album still relevant, Ben? I, you know, this one sort of fits in with the sort of textbook uh, category for my mind. Like, I think if you're uh, a student of pop music, of rock music, you should know about the Rolling Stones. And I think this album is as good of any that we've listened to so far. Three three albums deep now. <laughs> if someone said, would you recommend a Rolling Stones yeah. album? I'd probably pick this one. Um, so I think it's relevant. Okay. Yeah, I think it's relevancy hmm. for me is about the level of enjoyment I had, um, a biased sense of relevancy, I guess. <laughs> um, while it's not music that I imagine we'd hear a whole lot 
on the radio today. I think anyone who's getting into rock should know something about the Rolling Stones. And for, in the same way that you can't ignore so many of the other really big names, uh, it's hard to say it's irrelevant. What about you? I would agree with most of that. I think there's foundational aspects of rock and roll music here. Yeah. I just don't see it being necessary to make new music today. Uh, obviously, it has been a part of the building blocks to where rock and roll has got to at this point. But I don't think you'd need to do it to make music today necessarily. Uh, it's just been a part of the a part of the story. Sure. That being said, I think classic rock or blues club or bar or whatever you'd still hear this music for sure obviously yeah, we still yeah. hear this music on classic rock radio and probably a lot of rock radio i know we have a few just rock and roll stations that play old and new and you still hear stuff from this album so i think that it's relevant we, we've talked about this kind of situation before it's relevant in the rock genre and maybe the blues genre uh, not in general but there's a lot of kids out there today younger than us who are into classic rock and yeah these guys are cool you know so maybe maybe closer to yes than i initially thought but still eh. again it's hard to hear this and feel really excited right now and and again maybe that's just i think it's it's losing some relevance it's losing relevancy for sure but i think there's still these lingering symbols like you still people you still see even oh, yeah. younger people wearing the t-shirt with the mouth and the giant tongue, you know, their trademark symbol. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we mentioned this on one of the other reviews, but was it Maroon 5 who had the, the Moves Like Jagger song just a few years ago? Like, there's still this, yeah. like... Oh, yeah. Uh, well, you make a good point swagger, there. Swagger uh, around them, the mythology of the band, maybe, that uh, for some reason, I can't exactly put my finger on it because I'm not a huge fan they have had lasting power <laughs> that continues to touch people how about the position on the 500 list this is number 58 what do you think Does that sound logic for you i don't mind this album being here i'm a little surprised that it's here and the two that we've tackled previously are ahead of it i probably would have mm-hmm. switched this maybe with with exile I'm, I'm sort of thinking about it in terms of the other Stones album and not necessarily in terms of where it fits on an album listing of the greatest albums of all time. I'm probably not ever going to feel com- strong compulsion to put this on again. And so <laughs> if that's the case, then you know, how possibly could it be anywhere on the <laughs> list of the 500 greatest albums of all time? Having said that, I, I like it a decent amount compared to the other Stones stuff, and I understand that it's important. I don't know, that's kind of a hum and haw right. answer there. But <laughs> <laughs> I feel similarly, uh, I asked myself a few questions. Should the Rolling Stones have an album in the top 60? Uh, probably. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, a solid probably. You know, they, they should... <laughs> a, solid, a solid maybe. But because of their longevity and stature and the history and their yeah. success, uh, yeah. yeah, they should have one. Should they have three... Uh, I don't know if that's necessary for them to have three. And if this was their coming-of-age album, quote-unquote, should it not be higher than the other two albums that we've listened to? Or maybe because it didn't do as well and it kind of was the precursor to Exile, which was the fourth one, which was maybe the pinnacle of their four best albums. But I agree with you. I I wouldn't have put this at seven, but I would have put it higher than Exile. 
I don't know. I think I like Let It Bleed more than this, but they're both like pretty solid albums. Uh, but Exile to me, it was so long and I found the song so similar and there's really not a standout for me. Like there's a couple. I just, that album I just couldn't understand. So yeah, uh, I think in the end, no. And I could have this higher, but if the other ones weren't there. <laughs> <laughs> well put. Well put. I think I could. We can move a couple other, a couple of these albums out of the way and put some other ones up there. That's what I would say. Well, I mean, it it leads us pretty well into this next question, which we ask, and and that is, what other albums are on this list? <laughs> we know that the Stones have a bunch, and yeah. um, it's not going to be long before we get our next one. No, we've already talked about Exile and Main Street and Let It Bleed. That was number seven and thirty-two. Uh, respectively and then the next one we're going to talk about is sticky fingers at number 64 and that completes those four albums that we talked about their four best albums then we talk about uh number 109 aftermath number 116 is out of our heads Uh, the rolling stones now is 180 and then at 213 we get tattoo you i mentioned earlier from 1981 at 270, we get Some Girls. And at 357, uh, one of the albums that came before this, Between the Buttons. All so right. I don't get uh, for his satanic majesty. That makes me <laughs> tired just thinking about all of the, that. But um, they are one of the most uh, one of the bands that show up on this most frequently. And so there's a lot coming up here still. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so 10 albums in total. Uh, three down, seven to go. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> all right well we want to thank you for joining us here uh, ben would you tell us what we have coming up next time sure thanks again for listening and um we hope that you are enjoying this project as much as we are uh, next time we are discussing album number 59 on rolling stones top 500 album list that is chronicle the 20 greatest hits another compilation album by uh, our friends Credence Clearwater Revival. I'm not sure why I think they're our friends, but CCR just feels like, uh, you know, the, the guys down the street that are playing on the corner. <laughs> down on the corner. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Beside the bathroom on the right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that you have a tendency to just consider any music you like as people that are friends of yours. <laughs> there you go. And, and that's fine. That's fine. You've done it before. Uh, anyways, uh, another compilation album. We haven't been so kind, but uh, I think we're going to like this one. We'll see. Until that time, Ben, do take care of yourself and all you listening at home, please take care of yourselves. And we hope that you'll join us again on the Sound Logic Podcast. Take care. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our Sound Logic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.